You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 10, Take a Break from Drinking with Rachel Hart. This is Less Drama, More Mama, a podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. You're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected. This is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hi there, Mama. Here we are already at episode number 10, and I have a really special treat for you. It's my first interview, and it's with Master Coach Rachel Hart. Rachel specializes not only in helping women cut back on their drinking, but in actually reducing their desire to drink. Rachel is poised and personable and has a great sense of humor. She really understands the minds of women who turn to alcohol as a way to feel more relaxed, confident, and happy, but who want to feel that way without a drink. You can catch her also every Tuesday on the Take a Break podcast, where she shares how she uses the same tools and concepts that I talk about to help her clients. She also has a book, Why Can't I Drink Like Everyone Else? A step-by-step guide to understanding why you drink and how to take a break. I'll link to all of these resources and more in today's show notes at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash Rachel Hart. It's a pretty long episode, so let's get right to it. Please enjoy my interview with Rachel Hart. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted you to know that I decided that every 10th episode, I'm going to have an interview. And this is my 10th episode. And I wanted you to be my first interview for a couple of reasons. I don't know if you remember, but back in July you were coaching a business strategy session for a whole bunch of certified coaches and you coached me. And I had said to you, you know, I really want to use this time in my summer break as a school counselor to get ahead on my business and do something new. And I was deciding between writing a book or starting a podcast. And you just said to me, well, which one do you want to do? (laughs) And I thought about it and I said, I think I want to start a podcast. And you said, okay, then do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that plus the fact that there were like 60 other coaches on the call and, you know, I was being held accountable by all of you that really kind of gave me the kick in the butt that I needed to get it started. So I wanted to say thank you by inviting you on. And also you coach women who who drink and who overdrink and who want to stop. And that is something that I know a lot of my listeners struggle with. I am one of those people who, when it comes to a glass of wine or any kind of drink, I can sort of take it or leave it. I don't, I've never really had an issue with alcohol. But I know that many moms, you know, really rely on that glass of wine every night to unwind. And there's been a lot of stuff in the, you know, on social media, posts on Instagram about the mommy sippy cup and, you know, wine in the sippy cup and moms who drink 
when their kids are on play dates, all that sort of thing. So it's become very, very popular to, I guess, for moms to get together and drink. And I just really wanted you on the show to talk about your experience working with moms and helping them for those who do want to stop or cut back on their drinking, how you can help them with that. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you so much for having me. I will tell you that I love that, you know, you talk about that moment of indecision. Do I write a book or do I start a podcast? Because I think that that indecision is something that so many people struggle with. I know I struggled with it for a long time. And it's so incredible that really it is just choosing. It really is just a choice to say, okay, I'm not going to be stuck in what if I do this or what if I do that? And just making a choice to change something, how dramatic and how life-changing that can be. And here you are in podcast number 10, but it's the exact same skill that if you are struggling with food or struggling with alcohol or struggling with figuring out what you want to do in life, whatever it is, it really is that skill of just being able to make a decision to choose something and then go after it rather than staying in this gray area for so long. And so seeing how that choice for you, here you are with the podcast, right? And it really is that choice that can make a big difference for anyone who's wanting to change something about their life. You make it sound so easy though, because if someone is struggling with, you know, a habit like drinking, they make that decision, but then then all their mind drama comes up, right? And then all the stuff about, well, but I'm really stressed in this moment. And so their decision that they made, you know, they go back on it a million times. It sounds nice to say, well, you just make a decision. But really, how do people make a decision, I guess, and then stick to it? Yeah, well, I will tell you just from my own experience, you know, I struggled for really over a decade with my drinking. It was something that I loved to do and it was part of every social gathering and it was, you know, a weekend would be incomplete without going out and grabbing drinks. And it was also something that caused a lot of stress in my life because I didn't understand why it felt like I drank more than other people or why I felt like I always desired it, why it felt like I really needed it in certain situations. I really, I, I believed for a long time that I needed it to be the real Rachel, which of course, you know, nothing was further from the truth. And so even though yeah, I do talk about how you do have to make a decision. I struggled with that for a long time. And I think why so many of us struggle with it is because we don't understand how to cope with how we're feeling. Mm. And that really comes in time and time again, no matter what you're struggling with. Because ultimately, anything that we do or don't do in our life has to do with how we're feeling. But I think we grow up with this idea that emotions are these kind of mysterious things that are outside of us and like, or they're created by everything external to us. And so we rush around trying to get our life to fall into place so we can feel better. And when that doesn't happen, then what do we do? We turn to a drink, we turn to food, we turn to Netflix, we turn to shopping, right? To Amazon to try to mitigate those emotions. And it does become easier to make a decision when you start to really understand and recognize how much power you actually have to change how you feel on your own. And that an emotion is not an emergency. It's not the end of the world. You don't need to run from negative emotions. You actually were built. We all were built to withstand and to feel the whole 
spectrum of emotions. And so it really is okay. And that's what helps make making decisions a lot easier than it may feel for some of your listeners right now. And then it felt for me for a long time. So can you speak a little bit about how did you come to the realization that you wanted to stop drinking? How did you get into this work? And, and also, like, how has your life been different or better since do you not drink at all anymore? Or do you just drink at all? You don't drink at all. Okay, so, so, you know, how, how has your life changed since you put the drinking out? Let me tell you this. First, it is really still sometimes mind blowing to me that I don't drink at all because from the time that I started drinking when I was 17 and I, you know, first got to college, I just thought, Oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. Like, this is how you feel confident. This is how you feel outgoing. This is how you feel sexy. Right. I mean, to me, drinking was amazing. Alcohol was amazing. And the idea of not drinking and having an amazing life, it didn't feel like those two things went hand in hand. And mm-hmm. so the fact that I'm at a place right now where I don't desire alcohol, I don't drink, and I'm often just like, my life is so much better. It is so much better than I could have imagined. I think many times when I was trying to figure out my drinking and I would take a break, I'd be really frustrated by it. It felt like I was suffering in the name of health. Right. And so I would say, well, yeah, I'm healthy, right? Because I'm not drinking and my liver doesn't have to deal with it. And I'm not dealing with hangovers. But ultimately, I felt like I was always suffering, right? I always felt like I was missing out. I wasn't able to relax in social situations. I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't fit in. And so suffering in the name of health is not a really fun place to be in. So I will tell you that the way that I finally was able to switch out of that was by learning the exact self-coaching tools that you teach your listeners, right? The idea that how I feel, my emotions don't just appear out of the blue sky. They are created by what I'm thinking and that I didn't have to have the perfect body and the perfect job and the perfect partner and the perfect apartment and all the money in the world and my bank account in order to be happy, right? I didn't have to keep chasing after all those external things. So it really does still sometimes blow my mind that I am where I am because for such a long time, I believed that I would be unhappy not drinking. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are thinking the same thing. Like they can't imagine going to a party and not having a drink or coming home from a long day at work or being with their kids and not having that drink to help them unwind. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you that one of the moments where I really, it was really seared into my brain, like, oh yeah. I've totally got this. I remember dancing at my wedding and not only dancing at my wedding, but just like being so ready to get on the dance floor. Like my husband had to keep being like, they like not everybody's fish or food, Rachel, like calm down. Like the music is going to start in a moment. (laughs) I just really wanted to dance. And at that point I hadn't been drinking for several years. And I remember in the beginning of my journey feeling like, Oh my God, I will never feel comfortable on a dance floor. I feel so awkward unless I have a drink in my hand, right? Like I have to have that buzz or else I'm just like, felt like my body was moving weird and everybody's looking at me and I dance in a weird way and everybody dances in a normal way, right? And so to have that wedding and to have, you know, we had an open bar for our guests 
and to be there and to have so much fun and feel so relaxed and so at ease. And it never crossed my mind. Oh, I need something. I need the contents of my glass to be able to feel that way. And that really is what I think is so truly transformative about this work and the idea that we can change our habits, we can change our desires. And it's not just a matter of, well, I have to grit my teeth and use willpower and feel like I'm missing out. And that's why I struggled for so long. I mean, I knew that my drinking was something that it just didn't always feel good, right? I would walk away sometimes like, oh, why did I have that, you know, fourth or fifth drink? Like, why did I say that? Uh, you know, you wake up in the morning and, and feel like, oh, do I really have to piece together what happened last night? But I was always trying to change it through willpower. I was always trying to change it just simply by saying no. And the problem there is you can't actually discover how the habit works. You can't find the model that I know you teach you know, all of your listeners to understand how your thoughts are connected to what you're feeling and then how you're acting. And so I was just stuck in years and years of trying to use willpower and it was exhausting. And I really believed that I was never going to change it. I really believed that I was just kind of stuck. And I was just one of those people that, you know, just had too much desire and not enough impulse control, right? I thought that that was, I thought that those were actual traits that I was born with instead of understanding they were actually things that I could learn with the right tools how to change and how to control. So good. And I have so many questions. One is a lot of moms struggle with this idea that their life has to be perfect. Their kids have to be perfect. Their house has to be tidy all the time and they have to get everything done. They have to do it all. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what relationship you see in with your clients and with or with yourself, the relationship between that perfectionism and the desire to drink. And then before I forget it, my other question for you is really about how you came to find the tools that you now teach and, you know, that you use to help yourself stop drinking. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing, it's so fascinating to me because I do believe there is such a strong connection between perfectionism and looking for a reward. And that reward may be alcohol, it may be food, it may be you know a whole host of other things. But for me, perfectionism and drinking went hand in hand and I didn't understand it for the longest time. You know, I thought that perfectionism was actually something that you should try to cultivate, right? Like this idea of, no, I'm just like working to be a perfect version of myself. That's a good thing, right? That's something I should cultivate. It's something I should work towards. I didn't understand how that quest for something that is, of course, unattainable, right? You can't, no one can be perfect was actually causing me a lot of negative emotion. So I had no idea that perfectionism was actually something you shouldn't strive to cultivate. I thought that it was something that was beneficial because I mistakenly believed, oh, that imaginary point in the future when I'm perfect, then I'll finally feel good about myself. And I thought that that was the only way. So I kept trying to strive and strive to feel good about myself. And so, you know, nine to five, it was really the apartment looks perfect and I'm perfect at my job and I always pay my bills on time. And, you know, it was never allowing myself to make any mistakes, which of course is exhausting because we're human. And so we're supposed to make mistakes, but I would, I would really fixate. I would beat myself up. 
failure was never an option. I thought failure was something that you had to avoid at all costs. And so for me, at the end of the day, I was always both exhausted from running around trying to be perfect, but also I had so much negative emotion, right? I had all this kind of stress and anxiety because I constantly felt like I wasn't meeting this bar I had set for myself. And so of course I looked for a reward and alcohol especially became that reward. It became that reward, you know, especially when Friday would roll around after five days of trying to be perfect and be perfect and look perfect and do perfect. It was the only way that I knew how to kind of let my guard down. I know so many moms can totally relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it's interesting for me because, you know, this work, I work with a lot of moms and I'm only newly a mom myself. I had a little boy two months ago. And it's really interesting to see how that perfectionism, like it can seep in anywhere, right? And I, and I now know, I now have that experience of being a mom and really understanding there's, we get so many messages about the right way to do things or the correct way or what the, kids should be doing or the baby or what the house should look like. And so it's no surprise that, of course, at the end of the day, the brain is looking for a reward. And if you get into a habit of it, it's really easy that wine can be that reward, that daily reward at the end of the day. And then, of course, you create a habit, your brain starts desiring it more. And without understanding how any of this works, you can start to feel like, hey, how did this happen? How did I end up here? Why am I having three glasses of wine every night and feeling like, oh, why can't I get that baby weight off? (laughs) Exactly. Why can't I get that baby weight off? Also, why do I just feel this desire for it? Right? Where did this desire come from? And why do I feel like on the nights where I don't have it? I feel a lot of negative emotion and I feel like I'm missing out. I'm missing out on my treat for myself. Yeah. And I think also moms, if they don't have it, they get crabby. Sometimes when they have it, they're also, you know, a little bit irritable and, and that affects the way that they're parenting too. Yeah. I will tell you, I have, I have seen this time and time again with so many of my clients. I have moms who will, you know, they come home from a long day, they're working and then like they got the kids at home, right? They don't come home to an empty house and they have to start getting dinner on the table. And so I have a lot of moms who get into the habit of, I start cooking dinner and I open up a bottle of wine. And it's really interesting because when I start talking to them about it, for a lot of them, they don't really enjoy cooking. Like the last thing that they want to be doing is putting a meal on the table after a long day. And so having that glass of wine is sort of their way to get through it. And so it's really interesting. I was talking with one of my clients recently, and she was someone that just didn't like cooking. And we talked about that. And she was like, well, I guess maybe I could just swing by the grocery store and pick up a roast chicken. But in her mind, that was kind of failing as a mom. Right. Right. That she had to be making the home cooked meal. Right. There's that perfectionism again. Right. Exactly. And it's like, well, maybe we could try, maybe we could try buying some things, um, not always having the home cooked meal. And you wouldn't be kind of rewarding yourself through it by drinking wine when you don't like how you feel the next day. You know, you don't like the weight, you don't like waking up feeling kind of fuzzy, mm-hmm. you don't like having the disturbed sleep. But to her, that was a huge 
kind of aha, because, you know, she hadn't really considered, oh, I'm using wine to get through this task I don't really want to do. And also, it's okay if I get a roast chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? Like, it's okay if I'm not, you know, cooking a meal. It doesn't mean anything about you as a mom. Yeah. 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 And so that change alone was huge for her. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you found the tools to be able to recognize that it, it was your thoughts and feelings creating this habit and how you were able to turn that around for yourself. So, you know, as I mentioned, I spent kind of a decade really just frustrated and and what that looked like was just a lot of flip-flopping back and forth between I'm drinking, I'm not drinking, I'm drinking, I'm not drinking, which was totally done through willpower. So I didn't understand anything about the habit. I didn't understand really anything other than either I can say yes to a drink or I can say no to a drink. And the the unfortunate piece is I wasn't understanding why I was in search of a drink. All I was focusing on was, am I drinking? Am I not? So I did that, you know, for a little bit over a decade. It was incredibly frustrating. It was incredibly demoralizing. Every time that it didn't work, that my desire didn't change, I still felt like I was missing out. I still felt, you know, awkward unless I was drinking. I really grew more and more kind of disheartened by myself and my situation and I started to think maybe there's just something really wrong with me. Did you ever seek help for it or were you just trying to do everything all on your own? So um, I was really trying to do everything on my own in large part because I think a lot of people have so much shame around the habit of drinking, especially if they find themselves desiring it more than they want, maybe drinking more than they want. There was so much shame and I was totally wrapped up in that shame. And so I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. So I did this over and over and over again. And I, finally, you know, I got to a point where I decided like, you know what, Rachel, whatever you've been doing has not been working, <laughs> right? Like you're not making progress. You're just like, it was like groundhog day, right? I was just like repeating the same thing over and over. And so I actually, I was trying to understand this. I just didn't want to talk to anyone about it, but I came across a group that uses cognitive behavioral tools in their approach to overdrinking. Um, the group is called Smart Recovery. And it really is the idea that, yeah, you need to pay attention to your thoughts and your emotions and your actions and understand how that cycle works together. And as soon as I happened upon that, it was like, it was like someone had explained the universe to me (laughs) because all of a sudden I could understand why I was turning to a drink and also why I felt negative emotions in the first place. It gave me a place to really um, not only understand it, but to see, oh, so if it's my thoughts, then I have a place to work from. I can both understand when I walked into a party and unconsciously and automatically was thinking, you don't belong. Everybody is better dressed. Everybody looks so at ease. You're so weird, right? You don't even know how to stand properly. I could start to understand how these thoughts were creating my awkwardness. But not only that, understanding why then I turned to a drink because I didn't understand (laughs) that I could change those thoughts, right? So it showed me why I was feeling the way I did, why I was turning to a drink, but it also gave me the key to understand how I could start to reverse it. 
I think one of the pieces that, you know, for people that are tuning into this for the first time, you know, it's not a matter of, oh, so I have power over my thoughts. Therefore, I only think happy and pretty thoughts of rainbows and daisies. It really is, oh, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I can question it. I can challenge it. I can look at it and see like, maybe that's not entirely true. I can see how that line of thinking maybe isn't helpful. So it really is, it really gives you a starting place to change. And and once I discovered these tools, I started really wanting to understand this better and really looking for anything and everything that talked about these concepts. And it's how I eventually you know, started finding about, about the work that life coaches do, started finding out about how I could apply this, not only to myself, but help other people and how I kind of ended up feeling like, oh, now I have, now I understand how my brain works and I understand why I feel the way I do. And I understand why I am drawn to look for rewards when I feel negatively and how to actually be in charge of that myself rather than feeling like I'm at the mercy of it. So if a mom is listening right now and she's like, Rachel is speaking my language. She totally gets me, you know, like, cause you've been there, you know what it's like, where do they, what do they do first? Where do they go to get help from you? Do you have any free resources or things that they can, you know, that they can get to help them moving forward? Yeah, so I really do encourage the idea of taking a break. And the reason why I do is because I think so often people really understand it's like either I drink or I don't drink forever, right? And that's really scary for a lot of people. It was really scary for me, the idea of like, well, if I'm not going to drink, then like I'm signing up to never drink again for the rest of my life. Now here I am in a place where I'm like, yeah, I don't drink it. It's Amazing. But back then that would have been way too much. And I also think that people can land in different places. Like what is right for me is not maybe what's right for you or what's right for a listener. You know, I really do believe that people are empowered to figure out how to change their relationship with alcohol in a way that works for them. So I really encourage taking a break. And one of the ways that I do that, if you go to my website to rachelhart.com, there is a, a free challenge that I offer for people. And it's a five-day reset. You spend five days taking a break, but you do it very differently than how most people are used to doing it. So most of us are used to, okay, I'm, I'm on a diet or I'm doing a cleanse or it's January 1st. So I'm just going to say no to alcohol. And what I really help people do during that five-day reset is instead of using willpower, instead of just saying no, what I do is really start to explain the basics of how habits work, why you feel urges, why it feels like you have to respond to urges, how to create fun in a different way, how to go to a, an event that you might find is challenging and feel more at ease. And also what to do when you're in that habit of you come home at the end of the day or you finish your day at home with your kids and you think, oh, like I just need relief from how I feel, how to start to deal with your emotions differently. So it really gives you a taste of all of these tools. and. I have found that people find it incredibly powerful because it's a manageable amount of time for most people. And it really is doing it in a very different way, right? Rather than just signing up for five days of, of taking a break from drinking, 
you're really learning all these tools that you can apply in all these different areas of your life. I love it. I love it because like you said, it's a manageable amount of time, five days, it's free. So that's amazing. And people can get a little taste of you. And if they want, if they wanted to work with you further, they could do that too, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you the other thing. We actually have a private Facebook group attached to it. Um, and I think there's about 1200 members in it right now. And one of the biggest things that I see that is so powerful is that so many women just keep this to themselves. They mm-hmm. don't tell their friend that they're struggling. They don't tell their sister. They don't tell anyone. And I think one of the biggest things that is incredibly, incredibly instrumental is seeing that you're not alone with this. So wait, so if to be in a Facebook group, can't other people in the in the Facebook community see that you're part of this group? How does that so work? It's a, so the way that it works is it's a closed group. So what that means is that, you know, your friends on Facebook wouldn't see that you're in the group. You know, they don't get like a notification, you know, saying okay. like Pam joined the mm-hmm. five day reset. So it, it allows for that level of privacy, but you're able to be in there and just hear from other people, mm-hmm. right? Hear from other people and realize like, oh, you're not alone. You're yeah. not alone feeling like, oh yeah, if I have one glass of wine, I always f- notice myself really wanting more. Or if I go out to these social situations and I'm the only one not drinking, it feels so awkward and I'd rather not go at all. It really is that connection that I think is so important in helping to start to dissolve the shame that people feel around this topic. That's amazing that you have that community and it's so big. Now, not everybody in there are moms, right? No. And are they all women or some men in there too? No, you know, there are some men in there as well. I actually think that it's been very interesting for me because I started out my coaching work saying I'm a hundred percent committed to working with women. This is what I want to do. I think, I think drinking is so connected to perfectionism and people pleasing. And, you know, I could go on and on about the ways that I think it impacts women uniquely. And I think that this is a testament to how few resources there are out there for people who feel like in this in-between place, because I have so many men that reach out to me and I've actually taken on clients that were men. And there are some men that are in that group as well. But I really do think that in, in so many ways, this is such a shared experience that a lot of people would be surprised because I know for myself, I felt so alone in my struggle. I felt so alone that I was the only one that was struggling with my drinking. I was the only one who had such terrible impulse control and always had desire for more. And you know, it was interesting because it I saw the same thing with the way I used to eat as well, right? That I noticed that kind of connection, but I couldn't explain it other than, oh, well, you just you just made like you got a bad brain <laughs> when they were handing out brain. <laughs> Which, of course, is not the case. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot about... See, I cut out sugar and flour from my diet. And so as you're talking about these tools and cutting out alcohol, I'm relating it to my experience with sugar and flour, which I'll probably talk about at some point on, on the show. But yeah, these tools can be applied to anything, anything in your life. Well, listen, that's why I always tell people, this is why I think this work is so powerful because you know the people that I w- work with, they learn these tools through the lens of changing their drinking. And that's how I learn these tools. But they, it's like a meta skill that you can apply to so much. And so the exact same tools that I use to change my desire 
and to be at a place where I felt totally at ease and totally comfortable and didn't need to have a drink in my hand are the exact same tools I used to change my career, to write a book, to launch a podcast, right? Like that is what is so transformative is you learn how to master it in one area and then you see the kind of ripple effect of how you can apply it in so many other places. So that's a perfect segue to talking about using these tools as a mom since you're a new mom. And um, congratulations, little Amy, right? Ambrose? So tell us, how have you had to use these tools and, and really manage your thinking and your mind around having a new baby? If, you know, I mean, it's still really new. And, yeah. and I remember those days, I now have a 12 year old and a nine year old. Mm-hmm. But I remember those days. And it's not easy when you're not getting sleep, you're breastfeeding around the clock, right? Your, your whole identity in a second is changed from yeah. from wife and daughter and all these things to now mother. mother so yeah tell us some good stories <laughs> well i will tell you that i am so incredibly thankful that i have these tools i know how to manage my mind embarking on the journey of being a mom so there are two ways in the last couple months that i have very clearly used the tools um, one is i talk a lot about how small changes and what we think can make a big difference, right? So you don't have to slap on positive thinking. Sometimes you just need to tweak a little bit of thought. And one of the thoughts that I noticed myself having a lot with him was he shouldn't be crying. Oh, he shouldn't be crying right now. (laughs) So now that feels like, okay, well, that doesn't seem like a terrible thought. It just seems kind of true. He shouldn't be crying. It's two in the morning, right? No one should be crying at two in the morning. We should all be sleeping. Right. right? Or, I would, or I would think that thought too, when she's been fed, she, her diaper's clean, you know, she took a nap. Why is she still crying? This shouldn't yeah. be, right? Yeah, it okay. shouldn't be, right? Right. So the problem is a thought like that, of course, when you think that something should not be happening, invariably, you're going to feel a negative emotion. You may feel frustrated, maybe a little angry, because what you're doing, that thought is resisting what is. It's resisting reality. And and so just a small change for me to notice that and notice how often I was telling myself, he shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be crying to just switch to he's crying. Yeah. That's it. Right. Right. It just what's happening. Yeah. It's just, it just states what's happening as opposed to this resistance to what is. And that alone makes such a huge difference. Now, I don't move into an emotional state of being excited that he's crying, but I feel a little less frustrated, a little less annoyed. Accepting. Exactly. A little bit more accepting. And that's what I think this work does is it shows you how to turn down the volume on your emotions, right? We're not just slapping on positive thoughts and feeling, you know, only wonderful, beautiful things. It's just, I could feel a little less frustrated in that moment when I went from he shouldn't be crying to he is crying. Mm-hmm. So that is and, one place. You know, I, parents with kids of all ages can just take that one thought, right? Because, you know, my kids shouldn't be fighting with each other. My yeah. kids should be eating what I cook for them. I mean, there's so many things so many. that they should be doing in and resisting the reality of what is actually happening. Yeah, so, I actually think that should and shouldn't are two words. That if you could make any change in your life to take those words out, yeah, right? 
that will make such a tremendous change. So that's one place. The other place is around breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of problems. I know a lot of moms had had a lot of pain and you know, it felt like every time I sat down to nurse him, I was already going into it kind of, you know, like shoulders up high, kind of all tense because I was so, I was having so much anxiety about the pain. Mm -hmm. And so that was another place. So one of the things that I really help people is help them use these tools to separate what is physical pain and what is emotional pain. So Mm -hmm. I was having legitimate physical pain, right? We had to work on his latch. He actually had a tongue tie that we had to get corrected. There was a lot there and there was real physical pain. But I also went into it with so much emotional pain, so much anxiety about, you know, what it was going to feel like and then kind of anxiety while it was happening. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of work around that using these tools to really just label, okay, what is the actual physical pain? And can I separate that out from, you know, the emotional pain that I was having? And again, it didn't make, it didn't make my physical pain just disappear, but it did take the edge off, right? I realized that when I was going into a a nursing session, already thinking this is going to hurt, I don't want to do this. Well, I was creating anxiety for myself that then was kind of layering on top of that physical pain. Yeah. Right. And so starting to shift some of my thinking around that. And and again, like not to say, oh, this doesn't hurt because it did hurt, but even to shift my thinking in places to, to say like, I am actually like, I do want to be doing this. Right. Because like formula is always an option. It's not like I live in a place where you can't go get formula. So even just reminding myself, Rachel, you do want to be doing this. You are choosing to do this. That again could help kind of turn down the volume on the anxiety. I still had physical pain to deal with, but it was a lot more manageable when I wasn't also creating all this emotional turmoil for myself as well. Yes, so true. Such powerful stuff. All right. Well, I'm so excited for the moms who listen to this podcast to learn about you and to hear all the amazing wisdom that you've shared. Again, you can find Rachel at rachelhart.com and her podcast is called Take a Break from Drinking, which is on iTunes, Stitcher, all the apps for finding your podcasts. Rachel, thank you so very, very much. I really appreciate you being here. And of course, for pushing me to even do this podcast in the first place. I hope that as you continue to embrace motherhood, that if you ever need coaching, I'm available for you just like you were available to me. Any parting words that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think I just always want to remind women out there that you're not alone. Even if this has felt like something like a very private struggle, it's felt like something that you couldn't share. You really are not alone in this struggle. And I do think there are so many comparisons, so many connections between over drinking, overeating, overspending, overworking. We do so many things to try to numb how we feel. And once you recognize that, you see that there really is a path to change it. And it can make such a truly tremendous, powerful difference in your life. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And make sure you get lots of rest. You're going to need it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. 
you for listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast. If you liked this episode, please take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes and make sure you subscribe too so you never miss a show. Got a question, comment, or idea for an upcoming episode? Email me at pam at lessdramamoremama.com.